Good to be with you, church, this morning as we continue our series in the book of Proverbs. I'll dive in uh, right away. Just about last month, I would say, it was sometime in June, I went to my annual physical. Don't you have some of those? So I went to my doctor, who has been practicing family medicine for 40 years, a Jewish man, a great guy. And then after the nurse draws blood, the doctor comes in. And then he asks all the right question. Jen, are you eating well? How's your diet? Um, Jen, are you sleeping well? Do you exercise? What's your stress level? I'm like, all the right questions, I answer accordingly. But then doctor asked a question that really threw me off, really caught me off guard, surprised. And then he asked, Jin, do you have any weaponary harmful possession in your household? And I'm like, that's a personal question. What does it have to do with annual physical? So I was like, why are you asking me that? But then my doctor responded by saying, Jin, I actually ask that question to every adult, including teenagers nowadays. These days, depression and despair is so rampant that I'm almost saddened that I have to ask this question to all people. When he said that, I was really surprised. That was the least last expected conversation I had for my annual physical. But my doctor understood the importance of mental and emotional health when it comes down to physical health as well. So we had quite a bit of, it was rather surprising annual physical I had this year. As you might have picked up already, today's topic they were going to talk about is just such a dark issue. The despair, hear what Proverbs calls it, a crushed spirit. And more commonly known around us as an issue of perhaps broken heart, anxiousness, despair, a depression from all different ranges that we use certain terms as. Uh, this is not a, in a sense, foreign topic to many of us as it is close to our hearts for many of us. And this is how we are going to go about it. So you got this little sheet of paper. We are going to walk through those Proverbs first. We will do that. And after that, we are going to turn our Bible to Psalm 88 and do a case study of how a depressed man really looks like, how that can really be devastating to our soul. So that's what we are going to do. So have that sheet of paper, have Psalm 88 open. We'll jump into the last 10 minutes or so. But having said all that, I want to just bring all of us together. Just because you have heard this sermon, it does not mean that all of a sudden your life will be walking the park. It does not mean that this will solve all your problems at all, by no means. And this is not just intellectual issue, but something that's very close to many of you. You either are dealing with it, whether you want to call it anxiousness all the way to depression, or you know your loved one who are walking through a very, very, very dark season. I only pray. I know my words will fall short. I know that. I can barely scratch the surface. But I do pray uh, that God of comfort will draw near and mend your broken heart as your heart breaks over your own deep, agonizing sorrow or as you watch your beloved one suffer in this difficult season. So, 
how to take a broader sweep at what Proverbs had to say. But let's go and dive in as you dive in. I only pray the Lord will do the work in your heart. We'll approach it this way. First, we'll talk about what is this all about? Crush the spirit, Proverbs talks about. What is this all about? We'll talk about its scale, its pervasiveness, and its cause and effect of crush the spirit. We'll talk about what is this crush the spirit, despair, we're talking about here. We'll talk about its scale, its pervasiveness, its cause and effect. And then we will do a case study of Psalm 88. It's a very unique psalm in the entire Psalter. We'll do a case study of Psalm 88, and then we will learn what is our comfort, even in the midst of being crushed. That's what we're going to talk about. We'll talk about first, what is it? Its scale, its pervasiveness, its cause and effect. And then we'll do a case study of Psalm 88. And then we'll talk about our comfort, even in the midst of being crushed. So first, what is it? Let's talk about its scale. It's a non-binary system. What I'm, I'm going to elaborate a little more. It's fluid. In other words, it's just something. It's not something It's just on or off. Just hang in for a second. I'll explain. When you look at first three verse listed here in the sheet of paper, like look at verse 12, 25, what does it say? It used the word anxiety weighs down the heart, right? And 13, 12, following verse says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So here the author used the word such as anxiety. Another time he used the word such as a sickened heart. And verse 14, chapter 14, 13, he says, and even rejoicing may end in grief. And then when you look at last three verse, it says, 15, 13, it says, heartache crushed the spirit. A crushed spirit, and 70, 22, dries up the bones. 18, 14, crushed the spirit, who can bear? So here, the author uses a variety of terms, whether it be anxiety, sickened heart, grief, to crush the spirit. While the last three verses kind of intensify this term just a little bit, and our guest speaker last week came to speak for us, Ed Welch, Counselor Ed Welch, also wrote a book on depression. And in that book, he talks that it is very important when you think about anxiety or depression, it is very important to know that we don't just think in as a binary term, whether you're depressed or not, but think of as a continuum of a spectrum. It's not something that you should be proud of, just because you might not be in despair, in deep darkness at the moment, or it's not something you should look down on others who may be more prone to that or who are walking through that, or perhaps they're on the little bit more severe end of a spectrum than you are, or just labeling it as a sin issue is not helpful. It's not something that you should tell others, you just need to snap out of it, you can get better today. No, if you have been there, you know this bottomless pit of emptiness and agony that you are dealing with. So some of us who are gathered here on one end of the spectrum, you are comfortable calling it yourself, yeah, I tend to be a very anxious person. It is deeply bothersome. Or on the other side, you might completely call yourself, I am clinically depressed. I don't know. Regardless what end of the spectrum you are, here some of the author of Proverbs acknowledge that its scale is non-binary. It's all over the map. It's a fluid. So withhold judgment at the moment. We will talk about its cause effect in a moment. And what is this now then? What is this crush the spirit that we are really talking about here? Author of Proverbs calls it. 
the spirit is a Hebrew word, ruach. It means a wind. It means a passion, energy within you. It's a zeal. So when there's no wind of life has been sapped, uh, there's no tailing, tailwind in your heart. There's no energy. There's no longer, what is this life all about? You got nothing left in your soul. You are crushed and you feel cursed because you want to be out of it, but you just can't shake it off. There's no passion, no zeal in your heart to keep going, but all you feel is deep despair and darkness. When your soul is crushed, it's deeply paralyzing. And sometimes one of the most difficult things that you realize when you're in this state, especially when you walk through a prolonged season of life, you don't even recognize who you are anymore because you're numbed to it. You only look back the weeks before or months before, perhaps years before, and I say, I used to be a different person. What am I now? I'm so numbed to it. Crush the spirit who can bear is author talking about. There's no more tailwind of your life. No, nothing left in your heart to keep going. Hope has been vanished. Darkness is all you feel. That's crushed, the spirit says. Let's talk about how pervasive this is. When you look at this 14.13, here the author of Proverbs tells us that this is not the matter of if, but matter of when. Look at 14.13, what it says. Even in laughter, the heart may ache, and rejoicing may end in grief. That means that even in the middle of great, great circumstances, when everyone is smiling and laughing, you may be laughing too, just in a moment, you also feel, but I am empty. This is hard. You might feel great today. You might rejoice today. But tomorrow, it might end in grief. You just never know what the life can quickly turn into. And this phenomenon, whether you want to call it a pervasive anxiety, a despair, crushed spirit, depression, it's so pervasive. The Barna Group is one of the research firms that's a lot of those research and statistics. They did their largest ever research done in millennials especially. They did over three in 10 said they often feel sad and depressed. 39%, almost 40%, four out of 10 almost, and lonely and isolated from others. 34% said that. The sobering reality is this was pre-pandemic. And during pandemic, it only accentuated. One research said depression among adults in the United States tripled in the early 2020 months of the global pandemic, jumping from 8.5% of all adults before pandemic to a staggering 27.8. And new research from Boston University School of Public Health reveals that the elevated, level, level, elevated rate of depression has persisted into 2021, even worsened, climbing to 32.8% and affecting one in every three American adults. That means there are a whole lot of us who are sitting here, whether you are in denial, whether you're just not comfortable with calling it, uh, there is that paralyzing anxiety, that you're consuming anxiety that within you uh, that's affecting, debilitating your life. 
either you are dealing with it or someone you know are dealing with it, your, your closest friend, your closest family member are dealing with it, this is not a foreign issue. And I, even as a pastor, don't dare to speak up here, yeah, oh, this is your issue. I'm so much better than you. By no means. Actually, I am more prone. The same research Barna says that in 2020, roughly three in five pastors, 59% said that they have struggled with depression during their tenure of ministry. That number has grown significantly to during pandemic even worsened. Do you see how pervasive this is? This is all over the map. Now, so let me take just one step back. Let me give you a little biblical perspective about its cause and effect. This is one of those areas we just cannot afford to be reductionistic. So I'll try to take a little bit broad sweep at this issue, but withhold any judgment. I'm going to have some pretty strong words to many of us just in a moment. There are many causes. That's kind of, there, this is not comprehensive cause, but I'll list a few. First, I say very, very carefully, but yes, sometimes it does, it does can be a sin issue. Uh, for example, when you look at the David and Bathsheba example, after David commits great adultery, Prophet Nathan comes to confront the King David. And after that, he was deeply remorseful and depressed. And when his first son was about to take away, he was in deep, deep, deep sorrow. Now, perhaps this is the reason why oftentimes Christians just call every depression he said a sin. Hold your thought on that. There's much more than that, yes, but sometimes I've seen that. I've walked through a few church members in the past and present who are deeply in dark pit because of their ongoing struggles. It can happen. Having said that, it can be exactly opposite of sin issue. In fact, because you're pursuing the Lord so hard, sometimes you can fall into great darkness. What I mean by that? Let me give you an example of another wisdom literature book of Job. When you read earlier chapters of the book of Job, if you read it carefully, it is not Satan who just goes about. Actually, Satan was just roaming on earth, but it was God himself brought up Job to Satan. Hey, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one righteous than him. In fact, because he was pursuing the Lord so hardly, all his might, God was like, there's no one like him. And a lot of torments and trial came as a result. He was so depressed during the time. Another example, Prophet Eliza. He had literally mountaintop experience defeating Baal prophet. They were like calling down fire. Nothing comes up by Baal prophet. Eliza calls on our God of Yahweh. Fire comes down. Great. It's, a, it's, a, it's better than blockbuster movie. It's incredible spiritual success. Elijah did incredible things. Guess what happens after that? He falls into great, great depression. He runs to desert. What am I good for? He just sleeps day and night in desert because he got deeply depressed. Having said, let me pause here for a second. Let me speak to those, especially all of you who are deeply involved in vacation Bible school. To the degree that you are involved, whether you're students, children who attended, Perhaps you're volunteering your whole heart with the time and energy. Perhaps you're lay ministry leader, ministry leaders who are very, you heard great report about all the great things that God has done. Watch out. Pay keen attention to your heart this week. Maybe youth, you've been there. When you go to the great youth retreat after that, all you feel is, 
Now what? What is this all about? It's very pervasive in this. It can happen because it's exactly opposite of actually sin issue. You're pursuing the Lord. Even we pastors have this thing called Monday blues. After Sunday, all the ministry, we are like, now what is this all about? It just can't happen by that. Another cause of this kind of issue is that it can come after severe stress of life, which severe events happen in your life. We have an entire book of Psalms designated for that. When his life was under threat, when his son rebelled against him, King David, Psalm is filled with the lament. When you go through such a grief time, whether it be a death of your dream, that you're desperately wanting something, but that dream has been crushed, you're deeply rejected, that was soul-crushing, passing of beloved ones. Sometimes it can have devastating effect in your heart. They can go through, it can be, you can fall into big funk and despair, darkness after emotionally very taxing event. And also, another cause, it can come from physical suffering as well. Job, once again, he was deeply tormented physically that got him into the great darkness. And mothers, all you are gathered here, you know firsthand experience how body reacts when you deliver a baby, whether you want to call it baby blues or postpartum, your body hormone chemical changes, and your body can potentially fall into great funk for a while. I have seen some people walking through such a dark, dark time after they went through chemotherapy and a lot of treatments. And this is... so. It's for everybody. There's so many, even your, one of your favorite presidents of all time, Abraham Lincoln, dealt with that. Even as, I'm, as pastors, even as I was studying, so many great preachers have dealt with that. There are one in three of you are dealing with that, whatever scale you want to call it. All of us, this is more rampant in our teenagers. And now, I want to have some, let's have a conversation church here. I'll be, I'll say cautiously, but I, I say without reservation. I do think this is one of the issues that actually churches are behind the world. I am sorry to say it, but I, I, I mean it. At least the world, people call it mental health crisis. In church, we just label the sin issue. Are you struggling with depression, hoping to get out of it? Good Christian, get out of it within a couple of days, a couple of weeks. When somebody's walking through this deep pit of agony, that's the last thing they need to hear. They don't want to either. But when you live in suburban Philadelphia, affluent area, everyone comes to church nicely dressed. We are forced to smile. Good Christian, don't fall into despair. We got a hope in God. Pull yourself up by Bill Strap. So oftentimes there's no room for someone to be not okay. You know what? That's deeply lonely. That is deeply lonely when you constantly have to act up being okay. So church, will you withhold judgment oftentimes to those, whatever the cause is? Even, like I said, even when it relates to sin issue, I do remember particularly about a decade ago, my job when I was in, living in Dallas, pastoring there, one of my jobs was to minister to seminary students. So one time, a dear friend of mine that I was ministering to walks into my room. He's been dealing with this sin issue for a long time, and he had just a very difficult day before, so it was like, completely despair, sobbing in my room. I was like, what happened? I mean, what happened? I asked him. And he told me what, what he did or what happened. And it, was, it, was, it wasn't light. 
So in my premature mind, I was like, that's really bad. You need to repent of that. That's terrible. Hey, let's pray. Let's have a prayer of repentance. This is what I said. He's like, I actually, Jen, I know that. I know it's there. That's why I feel so in despair and darkness. And this was his word quote. The last thing I need to hear is another condemnation from you. And I was the one to quick to extend it. The fact that he's there crying out for help was, he, Jen, I am, all I feel is guilt and shame and condemnation caught in my sin. I don't want it. And then I was like one of those Job's miserable friend. Oh, I still remember that day, even today, to this day. So church, we, this can be caused by so many different issues. So there are many of us who are walking through this sobering time. Will you be able to comfort them and encourage them? There will be someone who's very indifferent and don't care. There are times, I'm not saying rebuke and confrontation or whether it be the correction, it's never needed. But if they're in the deep down in the valley, would you take time to extend grace and forgiveness to them? Church can be the most dangerous place to be for those who are walking through a dark season because we are so easy to just point finger at them. And I've done that. I'm deeply sorry to myself that I've done that myself to others. So now we talked about its cause and we have kind of a little conversation here at church. Let's talk about its effect, how it affects us. Look like two verse 15, 13, and 17, 22. It says the heartache crushes the spirit, crushes the spirit, dries up the bones. What the, how does it affect us? It has a hijacking effect. It kind of almost overtakes us. When the scriptures say the crush the spirit, dries up the bones, it is talking about a slow death. Heart is cheerful, heart is good medicine. When your heart is filled with the hope and joy, it will affect even your physical life. When your spirit is crushed, even the external circumstance may be going phenomenal, you are dying every day because you are just crushed. As I think of last five years, even in my personal life, I do remember two instances uh, that I desperately wanted to get out of. But I was so, I just could not snap out of it. I was like, man, I've been thinking about this. I've been overwhelmed by this for a couple of weeks. Very dysfunctional. I want to be out of it. Why can't I be out of it? It just kind of hijacks us. It kind of overwhelms us. You try to get out of it, but almost overtakes us. Dr. K. Redfield Jamieson is an expert in maniac depression, illness, and she has also experienced its debilitating effect in first hand. This is what she writes about her personal encounter. The medical doctor also first encountered, she says, profound melancholia is a day in, day out, night in, night out, almost arterial level of agony. It is a pitiless, unrelenting pain that affords no window of hope, no alternative to a grim and brackish existence, and no respite from the cold undercurrent of thought and feeling that dominates the horribly rest- restless night of despair. And every word she writes, that I'm like, oh, how can somebody live like that? That's so dark. Crush the spirit who can bear. It's talking about slow death. And perhaps many of you know one of the most beloved poets in America, Emily Dickinson. One of my favorite poems of her is the poem called Hope. I'm listening to how, and I'll just read the first stanza, how hopeful they personify this hope as a bird, how glorious this is. 
Hope is the thing that with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. Hope is a thing with feathers that perches in the soul, sings the tune without the words, and never stop. I read this one and just imagine, that's amazing. A bird in my heart, just your heart sings with hope, joy, and lightheartedness. But if, if and when your heart is crushed, there is no song in your heart. There is nothing that perches in your soul. Hope has been vanished. It's oxymoron because when you are in that state, it's consuming and yet you know it's empty too. <laughs> the consuming emptiness, it's like a black hole that sucks you down completely, that you are dysfunctional and can be hijacking. And it's deeply lonely. If you are in that state, I do pray that you find a friend, not a joke, miserable comforter once I have been, but really one who loves you, cares for you, and seek help from that. But even though as much as they love you, if you are in this state, as much as they know you, one of the Proverbs we didn't write down, but 1410 says, each heart knows its own bitterness and no one can share its joy. It is talking about no one can fully understand all your joys and all your sorrow. 1410. Even the most beloved one uh, can fully fathom what you are going through. It can be deeply dark and hard, difficult. See, what does uh, the Proverbs tell us? It rectifies the notion of our thought, right? Aren't we all consumed by our external well-being? We think, as long as my finances are secure, as long as my family is doing well, as long as this and that and that, as long as I get good promotion and job, my life will be okay. But this one, Proverbs, elevates the importance of inner soul more. Human spirit can endure in sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear 1814 talks about how important the inner life is. So church, check your heart today. How are you doing? How are you doing today? So now, having laid out this kind of overview of what is this crushed spirit, no tailwind all about, its pervasiveness, its scale, cause and effect, let me do a brief case study of how this looks like in Psalm 88. This is the author who's depressed. I'll just call it right out. His soul is crushed. I mean, for sake of time, I only read a selected verse, but if your Bible is open, follow with me. How devastating it stated, Psalm 88, verse 1, it says, Day and night I cry out to you. Verse 3, I am overwhelmed with the troubles. Verse 6, you have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depth. Verse 9, my eyes are dim with grief. Verse 13, but I cry to you for help, Lord. 15, from my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and I'm in despair. Verse 18, darkness is my only friend. Isn't it sad? We don't exactly know what Haman was going through. That's the author of this psalm. It's not H-A-M-A-N, the one who's listed in the book of Ruth, but this is H-E-M-A-N, different Haman. Um, why do I read and do this as a case study? First, I want to let you know that even your darkest night can be used by God. Your darkest night is not wasted. What do I mean by that? Haman was actually known as a very, very wise man. When King Solomon's wisdom was compared to, it was compared to Haman. First King 431 tells us he, Solomon, was wiser than anyone else, even wiser than Haman. 
This was a wise, wise man. And he was actually a songwriter, a musician, a poet, who was appointed for a public worship. He was a worship leader. First Chronicles 6.33 states that Haman was the musician in the tabernacle of God. 16.16 tells that David told the leaders of the Levite to appoint their fellow Levites as a musician to make a joyful sound with a musical instrument. 16.17, so the Levites appointed Haman. He was appointed to write the most joyful music unto the Lord. He was part of this guild. There were a lot of psalms, especially Psalm 40s and 80s. This group of people wrote a lot of great joyful psalms. What am I trying to say here? But at the same time, he wrote one of the darkest psalms in the entire book of Psalms, if not the darkest by far. Perhaps because he is in the darkness, darkest of dark, he can also write the most joyful music unto the Lord. A lot of artists can be that way to have seen that. And imagine, not that many poets are remembered throughout history. Thousands upon thousands years later, when I was going through deep funk myself, I remember one month, I read, in one month, I read through the book of Psalms four times. Because I felt like Psalmist is my only companion who can understand me. And Psalm 88 was deeply comforting to me. Oh, wow, God can't even use this guy's darkest, darkest pit of night for my good, even in this deep funk that he's remembered. This is in scripture, Chelton. Isn't it awkward that, no, 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 Jen, you may go in funk, but you gotta come out with the hope. I know that. A lot of majority of Psalms are that way. This one doesn't. It ends in the darkest note as you can imagine. In fact, the word darkness is used three times in this Psalm. Verse six, verse 12, verse 18. Darkness, darkness, darkness all over the map. And did you sense how long he's been in that funk? Like, did you realize verse 15? From my youth, I've suffered and been close to death. I've borne your terrors and I'm in despair. Sometimes it can last so much, much, much longer than you and I realize. But God still puts that as an inspired word of God to comfort those who are walking through deep down in dark season. And how this psalm ends in the, in the end, Shelton? It says, darkness is my closest friend. That's our English translation. In Hebrew, literal, the original language, the very last word of this psalm, my only friend is darkness. That's it. That's how the psalm ends. How do you do that? No, we have hope as Christians. But it's as if God's endorsement. This is what one commentator, Derek Hidner, says about this psalm. It says, with darkness as its final word, what is the role of this psalm in scripture? For the beginning of an answer that we may note first, it's witness to the possibility of unrelieved suffering as a believer's earthly lot. The happy ending of most psalms of this kind is seen to be a bonus, not a due. Its withholding is not a proof of either God's displeasure or his defeat. This author, like Job, does not give up. He completes his prayer still in the dark and totally unrewarded. His existence was no mistake. There was a divine plan bigger than he knew and a place in it reserved most carefully for him. It's as if God's way of saying, I understand that. Sometimes you can get in dark place, but even in your dark place that I am right there with you. Having said all that, Shelton, what's our hope? 
What's your comfort if you feel like all your friend is darkness in the bottomless pit of agony today? <sighs> you must look to the cross. Did you realize Jesus did not die saying all is well? No, Jesus also died in darkest of dark. He was in despair when he died. Do you realize that? When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No, 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 no. You're a Christian. You should die well. You should praise God when you're dying. Jesus didn't die like that. He died in despair. All his life, he knew the ultimate fellowship with God the Father. But at that moment when all the sins were laid upon him, here Psalm in 88, the author feels like darkness is his only friend. But at the cross of Jesus Christ, darkness was his only friend. He was descending deep to the ultimate darkness, cosmic darkness for our sins. If we have a Savior who saved us, who have given us the greatest news and hope, through his darkness, all this absorption of our sin. My friends, all who are gathered here, I want you to take heart. All you are feeling crushed in despair, in agony. All you are in the sorrow for much longer than you would realize. Shalom, I want you to let you know you have a friend. When no one else understands its sorrow, no one understands understand really its joy, we have, you have a savior who understands you, who died in agony and complete despair, the cosmic darkness. There is someone who gets you. I might not fully get you. I don't know all your sorrow. You don't know all my sorrow. Even your most beloved one might not know your, all your sorrow. When you feel so lonely and so empty, nobody really sees your trouble. You have a savior who have drove the cosmic darkness to bring you into light. So if you are there today, as I said, this will not be the ultimate remedy. All the sermon, because you heard this sermon, all of a sudden you'll be fine. Who knows? I don't. That would be, it, would be, it would be my hope for you that you will get better in your due season with God's hope in your heart. But it might last much, much longer than you might imagine, whether whatever spectrum you would like to call it, whether you're constantly anxious or you just are debilitating that you just don't even have any hope and all you feel is guilt and shame because you feel like you should be better by now. You have Savior who died in cosmic darkness and despair and he saved you, redeemed you through that so that when you feel like darkness is your only friend, even though that's how you feel, God understands and he is right there with you in your agony. So will you look to the cross all you are crushed today? May the God of comfort draw near to you. And may the hope of God one day, by grace of God, will slowly, surely reignite the ruach, the spirit, the passion, zeal of life that God has given you. Our God is with you. You are not alone. Hang in there. Hang tight. Our Lord and Jesus bled and died, pursued you to save you from that bottomless pit. Look to him. Look to the cross. Let's pray together. Oh God, we look to you. God, I don't know how many of us who are gathered here are personally going through it or know someone who are deeply going through it. But God, you draw near to them. You speak to them today. 
remind them once again. We have a Savior who understands their deepest agony and sorrow. And they might still feel like despair is all they feel. They might still feel very crushed at the moment. Would you encourage them? And God, I pray for all of us. Would you make us the people of God who extend grace, forgiveness of Jesus Christ, pursuing love? That this may be a safe place for many who maybe are walking through a very, very pervasive and darkness time, that they can openly share, this is what I'm struggling today. That without judgment, oh God, may the love of Christ be extended. The one who understands our sorrow, oh Lord, our Savior, we look to you today. Speak to our hearts. In your precious name we pray, amen.